So we're going to get started tonight. So let's take it today. You make a lot of choices in life, don't you? All right, who made a decision? Who made a choice today to do something, whether big or small? All right, somebody just throw something out there, a choice you made today. It was kind of... What should I put on my paper? What should you put on your paper? What to eat for lunch? What to eat for lunch, all right? The potatoes or the tacos? The potatoes or the tacos, all right? All right, so every day... So I kind of ask... Y'all are kind of spitballing a lot, but every day we make choices. We know that. Now, for example... Uh, some choices uh, don't have as much weight or as much bearing on your life as others, right? For example, choosing whether you want tacos or if you want a burrito uh, is not going to have as much of an emphasis on your life as opposed to choosing who you're going to marry, right? There's some choices that are big, some choices that are somewhere in the middle, and some that are small. But every single day, uh, we make choices of all different types uh, um, of things, on all different types of things. Uh, but there is one choice that we're going to talk about tonight. There's one choice that we all have to make. Every single person has to make this choice. And it has the biggest implication on our lives, both here and now and for eternity and after. And the choice that we have to make is this. It's this question I want to put on the screen. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the biggest choice that we have to make in this life. Every single person is going to have to make this choice in one way or another. They have to decide who is Jesus and am I going to follow him with my life? You see, there, and there's no riding the fence. There's no gray area. There's no straddling the fence when it comes to Jesus Christ. You're either for him or against him. He even says that of himself in the Gospels, in the Scripture. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. There is no middle ground. And tonight, we're going to look at someone in the Bible that had to make this decision. A person that had to decide if Jesus was who he said he was. And the person we're going to be looking at that had to make a decision about Jesus Christ was somebody that, get, that um, kind of gets a bad rap because he was involved in the trial of Jesus. We're going to be looking at this guy. You've probably heard of him. Pontius Pilate. Who's heard of Pilate in the Bible? A few of y'all have. All right. Now, what I want you to do, we're gonna, I want you to use your imaginations tonight. Y'all have got imaginations still, right? Just because y'all are, aren't little kids doesn't mean your imagination went away. All right. You can, you can imagine things. You can, you can picture things. So here's what I want you to do. We're, we're going to travel back. We're, we're going to go back to the trial of Jesus. So, so we know, you know, reading through the Gospels, we've seen the, the work of Jesus. You know, He's healing people. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's preaching the Gospel, all these things. And we know, you know, right before His trial, that there was people that wanted Him dead. And we're picking up the story tonight where He is on uh, the stand, where He is before the governor, Pilate, and He's being tried for these crimes. So I want you in your mind to kind of imagine you're going back 2,000 years ago and you're watching this take place. You're in the courtyard. You're in the crowd. You're seeing Jesus being brought before the people. And the question is, is will we reject Jesus or are you going to recognize him as who he is? Just like Pilate, he had to make this choice. And in Matthew 27 is where we're going to be hanging out. And the question is, what are we going to do with Jesus? Are you going to follow the crowd like the people did then? Or are you going to follow the Christ, who Jesus really is? So it's in Matthew chapter 27 is where we're picking up the story. In Matthew 27, verses 11, we're going to be looking at a good chunk of it, but 11 is where we'll start at. And let me encourage you, hey, I've told you all this before, bring your Bibles, just kind of follow along. You, you, I mean, if you're not following along in Scripture, how do you know that what I'm telling you is really the truth? It really is from God's Word. So I encourage you, hey, bring a Bible. If you want to bring it 
on Wednesday nights and you want to set it over here before you go to the gym or if you want to take it in the gym with you, hey, bring scripture with you. Uh, be in the word daily and be here and let's follow along. But in Matthew 27, uh, starting in verse 11, it says this. It says, now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priest and the elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer even on one charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. <coughs> so this guy Pilate, Pontius Pilate, all right, let's, let's see if anybody kind of knows your, your ancient history. Was, who was Pilate? Anybody know? Just off the top of your head. <coughs> all right, now he was the governor. Now, uh, was Pilate a Jewish person? No. No, he was what? He was Roman, right? The Romans. The Romans were occupying the world. They were the powerhouse. So he was the Roman governor of Judea, of Israel, of Jerusalem, where this is taking place. He was appointed by the Romans to, to govern, to squash out any kind of bad things that would happen, any kind of uprisings or insurrections that the Jews tried to throw against him. You see, the Romans, they loved him because he was ruthless and he ruled for Rome. But the Jews absolutely did not like this guy. They hated him. And I was looking this week, uh, just something that Pontius Pilate did. This isn't mentioned in the Bible, but he was an actual person that did actual things. And one thing that he did during his time as the governor, uh, he created in Jerusalem, remember this for exact, in Jerusalem he created a system for running water. 2,000 years ago, they had, he created a system in Jerusalem so they could have running water uh, throughout the city. You're like, that's pretty cool. Well, it's kind of cool, but listen to this. In order to do this, you've got to have money, Right? You know, like if you got to build something, you got to create a water system. There has to be funds to do this. And what Pilate did that really ticked off the Jews, he didn't use the Romans' money. He didn't use any of the money they had. What he did is he went to the temple treasury, which is the Jewish people's money, within the temple, and took their money to pay for this uh, water system to be put into Jerusalem. So for the Jewish people, what they saw Pilate doing is, you're stealing from our God. So he had a bad rap. He left a bad taste in the Jewish people's mouth. And in this part of Scripture that we're looking at tonight, Pilate is facing this dilemma. Is he going to release this guy, Jesus, this, this, this preacher, this rabbi, and potentially create an uprising? Or is he going to sentence a man to death that he thinks might be innocent? And just imagine what it was probably going through Pilate's mind at this moment. As Jesus is standing before him. Like I said, to use your imaginations to go back. He's standing before Pilate, Jesus is. And Jesus looks anything, nothing like a king. You see, he'd already been arrested. He'd been arrested by, and then taken before the Sanhedrin and the high priest, these Jewish leaders. He'd already been beaten up some. You see, Jesus wasn't standing there looking all fresh and clean. They had beaten him up. It says in Scripture, even the high priest had punched Jesus in the face. So imagine with me. Pilate, this governor, standing here with this Jewish this rabbi. Jesus has probably got blood running down his face. He might have a bloody nose or a black eye. There's probably spit in his face and on his beard from where they've spit in his face whenever they were beating him and telling him all these things and accusing him of all these things before they took him to the governor. He looks nothing like a king at this moment. Pilate probably thinks, this guy's just crazy. He's just out of his mind. He's a lunatic. He's not a dangerous rebel. He's just got, got a few screws loose probably. So, Which is why Pilate asked him there at the beginning, I said in verse 11, Pilate looked at him and said, are you really the king of the Jews? He's probably looking at him thinking, is this really, you think that's who you are? So here at the beginning, Pilate doesn't see Jesus as a threat. But as you read through the story, there's a shift that happens. 
See, Jesus is brought before. He's already been beaten up. The, the, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they've beaten him. They spit on him. All these different things. And then in verse 15 of the story, this is what happens. It says, At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. Chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked him, Which of these two do you want for me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, What should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, Crucify him. Then he said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. So most years, so this is at the Passover festival. So remember, just a, the day before, Jesus is with his disciples. You remember, they're in the upper room. They eat what we call now the, the Last Supper together. And Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross the next day. They eat the Passover meal together. So at Passover, there was a custom of these governors where they would release a prisoner to the people. They would release a prisoner as kind of a showing and an act of mercy towards the people they were governing. Kind of like a pardon. Y'all heard of like a pardon of a prisoner? You know, some of those prisoners get pardoned in our society still today. It was kind of like that. And in this moment, Pilate has a plan. He said, hey, I'll put Jesus, this guy, he's, I don't know quite, he might be a little, little crazy, but he's not a bad guy. He's not a dangerous insurrectionist. He's not this dangerous killer or criminal. I'll put this guy, this Jesus, who's just a street preacher, up against Barabbas. Now, Barabbas is a notorious criminal. All four Gospels speak of Barabbas, and they don't paint his picture as being somebody who was somebody you don't hang out with. This guy was a thug. This guy was a robber. This guy even says in one part he was a murderer. He committed all of these different crimes throughout his life. He's been in prison. So he said, Jesus, so Pilate's thinking in this moment, hey, I'll put these two against each other. And surely they're going to let Jesus go. And, and here's kind of the irony of the situation. You see, is Jesus is being falsely accused of crimes that Barabbas had already clearly committed. He'd already committed the crimes, but Jesus is being accused of those crimes. So, so remember that for later on. And here I think Pilate was thinking for the crowd, you know, I would, they would set Jesus free and he would get to crucify Barabbas. You know, he's like, hey, this house will work. <coughs> But they, they kind of switch it up. And there in the passage, it talks about, you know, he brings them before. And while he's on the bench, his wife sends word, hey, don't have anything to do. Don't execute this righteous man. And what happens is the, the high priest, uh, the, the Pharisees, all these Jewish leaders, they get the crowd and they kind of turn while Pilate's not paying attention. They turn to the crowd and say, hey, tell them we want Barabbas. Tell them we want to crucify this Jesus. He's not who he says he is. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ. He's not this promise when he keeps saying it is. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's committing blasphemy. They stir up the crowd. So whenever Pilate turns back around after getting this report, he puts them before there. To his shock, and I'm thinking, to his shock, he hears them saying, we want Barabbas free. Kill Jesus. Which he even asks him again. He's like, are you sure? Which of these two do you want me to release? What am I supposed to do with Jesus? And they're like, crucify him. He had to be shocked by this. So Jesus is rejected by Pilate, and the crowd has abandoned him. 
he's abandoned. He's, he's left alone. And then we see the humiliation. The humiliation that Jesus took. The humiliation that the soldiers brought upon him. Verse 26 through 31, it says, Then he released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and placed a staff in his right hand and then knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him, took the staff and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his own clothes, and led him away to crucify him. So this scene here, just think of this with me, of what our Savior went through. He was flogged. He was beaten and whipped. See, what the, Ro- the Romans perfected this. The Romans were uh, masters of torture, masters of execution. And they would flog criminals. And what they would do is they would do this thing called giving them 39 lashes, or they would say 40 lashes minus one. And the reason they would do 40 minus one is they believed that if, a man, if they gave a man 40 lashes, it would kill him. And this wasn't just your run-of-the-mill whip. This wasn't just uh, a paddle. Maybe y'all got paddled as kids with a paddle. It wasn't that. We're talking like this whip, this cat of nine tails is what it was known as. This leather whip that had nine braids off the edge of it. And they would have hooks, metal hooks in it. They would try and find sharp objects to put down into the leather. Like pieces of bone or pieces of glass. Things that would tear the flesh. Things that would open up the back of the criminal that they were flogging and beating. And they would whip this criminal. And they were doing this to Jesus 39 times. And then what they did, not only did they whip him. It says they put a scarlet robe on him. Like this coarse, wool, heavy, thick material robe. Just picture it with me. Of what Jesus went through. His open back. They're mocking him. And they put this on his open back that's cut open and bleeding. And just, I can't even imagine the pain. And they're mocking him with this. It's rubbing against these open wounds. And even in this moment, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is fulfilling prophecies as he's being beaten, as he's being whipped for us. Say, what is he doing? Well, anybody catch what the color of the robe was? Red. Scarlet. Scarlet, some say purple, some translations say crimson. And it's a picture of the sins of the world being placed upon him. See, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. See, it was a picture there of Jesus taking on the sin of the world upon His shoulders. Those sins were on Him. He was becoming sin for us so that we could become righteous. So they've whooped Him. They've beaten Him. They've put this robe upon His back and then they put a crown of thorns upon His head. And I wish I would have been able to get this, but... Uh, this wasn't just a little rosebush thorn. See, they had these, these trees over there in the Middle East that had these long two to three inch uh, um, crown uh, thorns in them. Uh, and my grandma, I think my mom still has it, uh, we actually have a crown of thorns that was made from those types of, uh, of thorns. And it's not like they just lightly set it upon Jesus' head. This wasn't just like a little, hey, let's just be easy with it. No, they jam this into his scalp 
And they were beating him over the head with a rod, mocking him. And the entire time, the entire time as Jesus is going through this torture, the entire time he's being beaten, the entire time he's being mocked and spit upon and punched in the face, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't make a sound. Why is he quiet? Once again, Jesus is teaching us something even through the torture. He's fulfilling prophecies. He's fulfilling another prophecy of the Old Testament in his silence. Isaiah 53, if you read that chapter in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, he talks about the suffering servant, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, the prophecy about Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says this. It says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. Jesus was silent. He was fulfilling what was to happen. Just picture it. I know it can be heavy to think about that, but what Jesus went through, what Jesus did for you and for me, becoming sin for us. And if you want to know just how much God hates sin, look no further than this. Look no further than the suffering of His Son. That He was abused, that He was beaten, that He was tortured, that He hung on a cross and shed His blood for you to cover your sin, that there's no other way that we can have salvation but by what Jesus did for us. And the question that we have to answer, like I said earlier from the beginning, is what are you going to do with Jesus? Indifference is not an option. Just not caring is not an option. By saying I'm not ready or being indifferent or saying, hey, I've got too much going on in my life to follow Jesus, that is making a decision. Not making a choice is making the choice. When you say, I can't do that, I ain't got time for it, that's you saying, I'm not choosing Jesus. And here in Matthew, it's so cool, we're giving a picture, a clear picture of the gospel. <coughs> we know, you know the story, Jesus, you know, he, was, he went to the cross, he died, and I'm sure you know the, how it all ended, and he was victorious, and that's what we hang our hat upon, that's the hope of the gospel. But just listen to me here. Because this is not just a man being put to death. This is not just... Him just another person dying on a cross. It's an amazing exchange that is happening here. You see, Jesus is brought out before the people. Him and another person. Who was that other person? Barabbas. And Barabbas, this criminal. The one that broke in the law repeatedly. He was deserving of punishment. And then on the other side we have Jesus. Perfect, sinless, spotless. And they exchanged the unjust for the just, that the just Savior, the perfect Savior of the world, was swapped for this vile criminal. Jesus traded places with them. And in this story, who is Barabbas? He's a representation of you and me. We're Barabbas. We're the criminals. We're the ones that have gone too far. We're the ones that have broken the law. We're the ones that deserve death, that deserve punishment. But the sinless, perfect Savior exchanged it for us. He took, like I've told you this verse so many times, I feel like I almost say it every week, that He made Him who knew no sin, the perfect Savior, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what Jesus is doing. And just something cool, like Barabbas, sometimes we kind of shy over Barabbas in Scripture, like, hey, he was there. You know, they released him, they killed Jesus, we get that. 
But there's a lot going on with the story of Barabbas here. So Barabbas, get this, his name has meaning. You see, in the Jewish people, bar, when you hear this, you see something say bar or in the name, it's not talking about a bar like where you know bar stools or like, you know, anything like that. Bar means son of. So when you hear bar in scripture, no, hey, bar, like for example, there's Barabbas and then there's uh, Bartimaeus. You may have heard of him, he's blind. It meant son of Timaeus. Timaeus was his father. Uh, in some translations of the Bible, you hear Jesus refer to Simon, Simon Peter, as Simon Barjona, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. So Barabbas, the first part of his name meant son of, and his last part of his name was Abba, or Abbas. That meant the father. So his name means son of the father. Say, so where are you going with this? What does this mean? Son of the father. I meant he was a picture of. The son of the father of sin. Our, our first father, Adam, who, who failed in the garden, who committed the sin, who led to this to where we, he gave in into the temptation. And it, it created this to where all of us were born into sin. That's what his name means. The one from whom our sin nature was handed down from. And also, Barabbas, Barabbas's name, his first name wasn't even Barabbas. So why do they call him Barabbas? That's not his name. Why do they keep calling him that? Well, it, if you look, like if you have a Bible, if you like, if you go home and look at your Bible, if you look in the footnotes, if you look at verse 16, you're going to see something that's pretty fascinating. If you look in the footnotes, it says that his name in other translations and other documents and other manuscripts from back, that his name was Jesus. Jesus Barabbas. So... Jesus and Jesus. Two Jesuses. So what would have been said, just a little, little Hebrew for you. You know I like to throw some random Hebrew names and words out from time to time. So his name would have been Yeshua Barabbas. And what this is what Pilate would have said. is Yeshua Barabbas or Yeshua, or Yeshua HaMashiach. Now what that means is Jesus the Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. That's Jesus the Christ. Which Jesus are you choosing? He may not have known that he was saying that, Pilate, but which Jesus are you going to choose today? Jesus Barabbas, the one the crowd wants, the criminal, or Jesus the Christ, the only one that can save your soul? Which, which Jesus? And, and just Barabbas, I, I, I was reading this this week, studying up on the story of Barabbas here. I was fascinated by it. Fascinated by just, just think about this. Have you ever thought about what this day was like for Barabbas? Like I said, just, just picture it with me. He knows what he's done. He knows he's a criminal. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He knew his execution on a cross was imminent. That it was going to happen. He knew the cross was at the end of the road for him that day. And I often wonder this. I, I learned about a little bit about this week that uh, on death row, in like um, there was some I heard about it, like on death row in some places, like especially like back in the past, whenever they would hang people as a form of execution, and a person knew they were going to the gallows to be hung, that people would start rubbing their necks, thinking about what was about to happen to them. And I wonder. It's just me speculating. I know. 
But could Barabbas have maybe been sitting in that prison cell that night before and that day of, like rubbing his wrist because he knows the rusty spikes are about to be driven through, or rubbing his feet, or taking deep breaths because as you're hanging on a cross, you can't breathe. Stake it about dying from where you couldn't breathe and your lungs are collapsing up in them on themselves. He's waiting in the cell that morning. And he hears, as he's chained in the cell, he can hear off in the courtyard. Think about it with me. He hears what's going on. And he hears the crowd chanting his name. Why are they chanting my name? Is this it? Then he probably hears from down the hall the soldier, the, the guard coming, and the keys opening up his cell. And he's probably thinking, this is it. I'm going to the cross. This is it. And he's led down by this soldier, I'm sure, to the platform where the governor and the crowd, and he hears all this. He's thinking, what is this sound that's going on? Thousands of people yelling and chanting. And he looks to his right. I'm sure I'm right, he walks out, and I'm sure he sees. There's another man standing there. A man he probably had never seen. A man that's beaten and battered and bloodied. And then to his shock and amazement, he's probably thinking, I guess me and him are going together. But then the guard says, takes his chains off from him and says, you're free to go. You're free to go, Barabbas. What? And I like to think, I wonder, as he's walking away as a free man, I just wonder if he walked down off that platform and looked back and saw Jesus. He looks back and sees the other man. The man who he knows now, he's taking my place. He's taking my cross. You see, Barabbas is the only person in history that can say that Jesus Christ literally took his place on the cross. I don't know what happened to Barabbas. I wish there was more I could find out. There's not much in him in history, books, or writings. But I just wonder what happened with him to see that oh, that guy's taking my place. I know what I've done, and I'm free. Now, while we can't say that Jesus took our physical place on a cross 2,000 years ago, if we've repented of our sin and put faith in Jesus, he has taken our spiritual spot on the cross, absorbing the pain, the suffering, the wrath, the condemnation that we deserve because we are criminals. Because we are sinners. We have sinned towards a holy God and we deserve punishment. But Jesus took that punishment for us on the cross. So to end tonight, I'm going to finish out. We're going back where we started. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to follow your own way? Or are you going to surrender and recognize that Jesus is the only one that can save you from your sin? Jesus Christ. He's the only way to salvation. Are you going to go with the masses that say, hey, like the crowd here, hey, follow your own way. Trust in yourself. Just be a good person. You don't need anybody to save you. You can save yourself if you just try hard enough, if you be good enough. No, that's not how it works in the economy of God. You can't save yourself. Jesus Christ, this Jesus that we're talking about here, the Jesus, the main, He is the one that absorbed the wrath of God upon Himself on the cross. He shed His blood for your sin and for my sin. 
And he's saying to you and to me tonight, if you would just repent of that sin, put faith in what I've done, that I died for you and I rose from the grave for you. If you put faith in that, you will be saved. You made a new creation in Christ. You'll have eternity with him in heaven. And that day, as Jesus went to the cross, see, Barabbas knew, get this, he knew he couldn't save himself from the cross. The only hope he had was an act of mercy and an act of love. The God of the universe willingly took his place. See, some people talk about, well, it was a trial and Jesus was falsely... This, wasn't, this was something more going on here. Y'all get that? You see, Jesus wasn't put to death. It's not like Jesus was helpless. Jesus said, hey, no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to pick my life right back up. So Jesus may have been falsely tried. He may have been put before Pilate and the Sanhedrin and all this other stuff that we looked at. But Jesus willingly took the place of this criminal. He's willingly took in the place of you tonight. He wants to take, he is taking your sin, your punishment upon himself once and for all on the cross. All of your sins, your past sins that you've committed years ago, your present sins that you may be dealing with now, and your future sins can all be forgiven if you would put faith in this Jesus. And if you've not done that ever, if you've not ever done that, if you've never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, I would love to just be able to give you an opportunity to respond to that tonight. If you want to talk to me or someone else that you know is a Christian, Say, hey, I know this person and they believe in Jesus and I want Jesus because I see what he's done for me. Man, grab them tonight. Here in just a minute, Cam's going to come up and lead us in another song again to close out. We're going to sing a song we sang earlier. We're going to sing in Christ alone again because in Christ alone is our hope. In Christ alone is what he's done can we be saved. And if that's you, will you accept that free gift tonight? Let's pray.